I do think that getting your license and taking the leap into it, obviously have, you know, a financial cushion or have some support from a spouse or whatever the case may be um, to do that. But what people need to realize is that when you get your license, that they teach you a lot about how to stay out of real estate jail and how to, you know, do things correctly. They don't really teach you how to get clients and actually do the business and, you know, actually do the job. So I think a lot of people are in for a rude awakening once they get their license. They're like, all right, now I have a license. What do I do with it? And that's the hard part. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Don Brennigan with me. Don, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited. Thank you for being here. So Don is the founder of Trailwood Realty, a real estate investor and agent, owns a property management company within Trailwood Realty, and of course, a loving mother. So Don, uh, what's got you busy right now with business, family, whatever the case is? Well, very excitingly, the kids finally went back to school in person yesterday. So, um, we're, you know, and I picked them up from school and I was like, how was your day? They were like, it was the best day ever. They were so excited to see their friends. And I was like, you know, it's, I'm, ex- I'm excited to have the time during the day and I'm excited for them to, you know, be able to go see people again. So so, you know, it's working out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just been a crazy time. Obviously COVID's thrown so many things for a loop, uh, it, real estate market being one of them yeah. as well. So I want to dig into your journey a little bit. Cause I think it, it's really interesting because I know you had a pivot early on in your career and that's kind of, you know, sent you on this path down the real estate agent and investor territory. So kind of g- give us an idea of what you started from a professional career and, and why you pivoted into real estate. Oh, for sure. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill um, for college, just got my undergrad degree in psychology. And it turns out that if you are not going to carry on and get your PhD, or at least your master's, you are not going to make a lot of money with a psych degree. Um, And I didn't realize that, of course, until I started working. And I was working for a foster care agency making maybe $28,000 a year, thinking that I would eventually move up. And what I realized in working in that company is nobody there um, made any more than $36,000 a year, um, except for the very two top people. And I was like, man, a lot of people have to leave or die before I can get a decent job. So um, I talked to my dad that night, you know, and he was like, oh, you should get your real estate license. He had always been an entrepreneur. He owned a software rental business, kind of like a blockbuster for software titles. He owned a little bit of real estate and, you know, had a rental property. And, you know, I helped him do a lot of work and stuff at that property. So I was kind of in real estate a little bit growing up as a child um, with my dad. But so when he was like, oh, you should get your real estate license. I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I could do that. So, you know, just took some night classes after work, got my license and, you know, started working for a a builder after that. Well, actually working for a real estate company that sells home for custom builders. So we had a custom builder team that we just sold, you know, that one neighborhood for those builders. No, absolutely. And, And I think that's a really good starting point too, because I think, you know, so much of the audience is usually the other side of it, right? Hey, my, my, my parents had, you know, these corporate careers and they put all this money in their 401k and they saved up and now they're, you know, retiring at 65 or whatever the case is. So that's really nice that you had kind of at least that, you know, outline of, Hey, this is kind of okay to kind of take more of a contrarian or, or, you know, less safe path down that. Yep. So what's it, so what, I know it's probably changed a ton, but so what is it like actually getting licensed to be a real estate agent? And again, maybe it's quite a bit different when you first started, but 
What is the process like for anyone in the audience that is curious about potentially looking at getting You're right? It is definitely different than when I did it because, gosh, it was almost 20 years ago now for me. Um, so they changed the rules a bit. It used to be a lot easier. You could get your real estate license and turn around and start your own company right away. You didn't have to have any kind of experience or anything. You know, as long as you had a broker's license, you could go do that. Um, now they've changed it. Now everybody is a broker, but um, you kind of have different like levels of broker and you have to be one for like three years before you can actually go start your own business and work. Um, maybe it's two years. I'm not exactly sure what the requirements are, but I believe it's like, a, you know, you've got a like a class that's maybe 75 hours. And then once you pass your test and become licensed, you have three years to complete three 30 hour classes. So you've got another 90 hours after your license to um, stay up to date. And then you have to take continuing ed every year. So we've got eight hours of that, which is pretty reasonable. So it's, I mean, it's, so from what you're describing, I mean, it, you know, obviously it's front loaded with some, some work, but obviously you've got your continuing education. So being in the game so long, what do you see for folks that are trying to get their license, but maybe still work a full-time career? Is that practical? You know, what's been your experience to kind of see folks do that? Yeah, it's absolutely practical to get your license and have a career. And it's not super practical to try to be a real estate agent, work full time while still having a 95 job, just because you do have a lot of things that happen during the day. You know, you've got closings, everyone works on a 95 schedule, you know, it seems like we kind of just work all the time. So closings, inspections, things like that are going to happen on a nine to five schedule, showings, answering phone calls, emails that happens all day, every day. So um, you're kind of just never off. But that being said, you know, I do think that getting your license and taking the leap into it, obviously have, you know, a financial cushion or have some support from a spouse or whatever the case may be to do that. But what people need to realize is that when you get your license, that they teach you a lot about how to stay out of real estate jail and how to, you know, do things correctly. They don't really teach you how to get clients and actually do the business and, you know, actually do the job. So I think a lot of people are in for a rude awakening once they get their license. They're like, all right, now I have a license. What do I do with it? And that's the hard part. That's kind of ironic. That sounds a lot like just the overall higher education system, right? Hey, here, yeah. here, here's this, here's the schematics of, you know, this function, but the actuality yeah, of actually agree. finding a way to with it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when you started in the real estate journey, like you said, you're working for a builder. So, so what's it like? So obviously, you know, most people think of real estate agent, Hey, you know, I'm buying and selling, you know, pre-existing homes to, you know, their young families or investors. So what, what was it like working for a builder and what was kind of that first experience within real estate? It's very different. So when I went to interview for the job, I, you know, I was looking for somebody's office, you know, and I'm pulling into this neighborhood and there's nothing but houses around. And I see like a trailer and stuff like I, I had no idea where I was going. It just didn't even occur to me that it would be a house that, you know, I'm looking for. And, you know, I was early 20s, not really knowing the, the difference between anything. So the nice thing about doing new construction is you walk into a neighborhood and you have a lot of listings. So you've got a neighborhood that's building 300 homes. You've got 300 listings. These are yours. You don't have to go out and hunt for those clients. You sit in your office, people will come to you. You do some marketing and, you know, you do some community outreach and stuff. Um, so it's not like you're just sitting there waiting for people to come, but it's a lot different than running out and trying to find your own listings. You know, and those typically new construction in our area sells really well too. So, you know, it's not hard to do that job. The hours are nice. Typically it's 10 or 11 o'clock to five or six o'clock, depending on daylight savings. You do have to work weekends. You typically only have one weekend off a month. And that was ultimately why I decided to go into general brokerage and to do the property management company. One, we were in the middle of a recession, so we were not selling as many as we used to. Um, so that was one impetus to make a change. Um, and then two, you know, I wanted to like get married and have kids and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't want to be stuck working basically a nine to five kind of job. You know, if I want to be able to pick my kids up from school, you know, I wanted to be home with them while they were little and stuff. So 
um, you know, that was more of a lifestyle change for me more than anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what was the, what was the transition like? So you did, you did that for a couple of years, obviously working for the builder, doing the new construction. So at that time, was it possible to just go out and start your brokerage or did you have to go somewhere? What was, what was that path like to getting to the point where you started Trailwood and, you know, started getting more into the existing home sales? Yeah. At that point I had met the um, requirements for uh, experience and, you know, having my license long enough to do it. So yes, I can just kind of run out. You have to take a class, like a broker in charge, maybe it's 12 hours. I think it is. They teach you how to manage a trust account, stuff like that. And, you know, so I became broker in charge of my own company. Um, I had to quit doing new home sales to do it because the broker there would not let me you know, do something basically on my own. They wanted me to just kind of focus on the the clients there. Turns out they ultimately opened their own property management company. I think that's actually why they didn't want me to do it because they were, you know, it would have uh, interfered with their own company. So, um, but you know, that was kind of the kick in the pants that I needed to just say, all right, forget it. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to go do something on my own. Um, I had gotten married. And so I did have a spouse that had a W2 job, you know, he had health insurance and I was like, oh, you're so stable. <laughs> you can be stable and I can go right out and just, you know, try all these different things and see what sticks. So, you know, it was good to kind of have that support. So what was the beginning like? So how, how did you go about, I mean, kind of, it's interesting because you talked about, you know, they don't teach you a ton of those marketing, business acumen, things like that, right? The, the reality of how you monetize the skills that you have, you came from selling the, the, the new construction homes, right? Mm-hmm. So you were getting more inbound in regards to the customer base versus, you know, actually going out and soliciting and, and bringing in business. So how did you get to the point where you were able to build this brokerage and, and you know, get it off the ground and successful? So it was 2010, which, you know, right smack in the middle of a housing recession. Um, I was focusing more on the property management side of the company. Um, and a lot of people were having a hard time selling their houses. So I literally sent postcards to people who had houses on the market for sale. You know, if it was on the market for more than two months, I sent them a postcard and said, hey, do you think about renting it? And, you know, I remember I had gotten like a, a, a separate uh, cell phone line. And so I got this new phone sitting over here. It's never rang. And one day it just like went off. And I was like, what is that sound? <laughs> I had no idea what that was. I was like, oh, it's the phone. <laughs> I was like, it's ringing. That's so weird. Run over there, pick it up. And I still have that same client, Sue Lee. I remember when she called me and I was like, hey, <laughs> you're my first call. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> you know, so I had built up the portfolio to maybe 30 rental homes. And, you know, I'm selling a handful of homes here and there. You know, I had friends and stuff that, you know, were still buying and, you know, neighbors and things like that. But, you know, I think at the beginning, I was probably only selling like maybe 12 homes the first year that I did it, which is not bad for the middle of a housing recession. But, you know, mostly I was focusing on the property management side of it. Um, Then I found out that I was pregnant with twins. Um, They were born March of 2012. So, you know, just really a year and a half or so into the business. Um, I find out I'm going to have two kids at the same time. And so I was like, all right, I don't know what that's going to be like. I hear having kids is hard. So let me just kind of like back off of work a little bit, just do what I'm doing, not really try to run out and chase new business. Um, the kids came, I ended up having a lot of help from my, um, my mother-in-law and my mom and stuff. So I was like, all right, I can kind of get back to work, went out and did that. And, you know, started getting so busy in the property management and the sales, you know, both sides were really just demanding a lot of time you know, plus I've got, you know, two little babies at home and stuff. So it's definitely being pulled in all kinds of different directions. Um, And I did that for a while. I didn't take on a business partner until the beginning of 2017. Um, And before that, I tried to hire like assistants and things like that, but it just never really worked out great. But I had a good friend of mine who was, you know, just a really hard worker. I knew her and her other businesses and stuff. And she just was, you know, just on fire always, all the time. 
you know, doing what she needed to do. And so when she got out of the business that she was in and wanted to do real estate, I was like, you know, sign me up. Like, let's do this. Let's partner up. And there's very few people that I would do that with because I'm, I'm, I'm not really a teacher. Like I don't like to <laughs> handhold. I don't like to spend the time doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was like, all right, you're going to figure stuff out on your own. Come join me. Let me know when you really, really need something, but exhaust every other option to figure out what you're doing before you call me. And she's just that type of person anyway. So, you know, it just kind of worked out. Um, and then, you know, we kind of grew a little bit more. We do, she had an assistant, um, in the business she was in. And so she brought him with her, um, and he does great. And then we also have another buyer's agent. So it's still a very small company. Again, I don't like to, you know, have a lot of people that I'm responsible for, but the people that I do have are great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, a a bunch of things I wanted to kind of touch on there. So as far as the postcards go, so what is, I mean, I guess, again, this is going to sound extremely naive, but so how do real estate agents really get new clients either for listings or for obviously purchasing homes? Yeah, lots of people do different things. I mean, the postcards was probably not the best use of, you know, time and money. And (laughs) it's an expensive way to try to reach out to people. But, um, you know, it's successful people that I know some of them, they cold call, like I've never made a cold call before in my life. I'm an introvert, the idea of having to just pick up somebody and then be pick up the phone, call somebody and to be rejected, you know, throws me into like, I would just (laughs) take a Xanax and crawl back in bed. Like, no, (laughs) not doing it. But there are other people that do it and they are insanely successful with it. Um, You know, I found a lot of my success just being like on other forums like Facebook, um, bigger pockets, things like that, where I was just providing value to people. You know, they'd answer, ask questions. I would answer them because I was interested in the topic. It wasn't so much a, you know, ploy to try to get new business. But what I found happening is that the more I was out there talking to people about real estate, the more people asked me questions about real estate. So um, you know, just kind of naturally evolved that way. Um, and then of course, you know, I'm just like the kind of person, like as introverted as I am, I also have a very large like social circle. So, you know, constantly, um, you know, just going out, making sure I'm in front of people all the time, um, is helpful. Um, but yeah, I'd say bigger pockets has probably been the biggest lead source for me because I do work with so many investors, you know, obviously that goes hand in hand. So, I mean, so being an introvert, I mean, it is kind of an interesting business to be in with real estate because obviously you're constantly dealing and communicating with people. So how, how have you as an introvert been able to kind of overcome some of those, you know, either limiting beliefs or just kind of personality traits to be able to reach the level of success that you have? I think finding a topic that you can speak intelligently on and know that when people ask you questions that you're providing, you know, actual answers and value and stuff helps because I'm not, I'm very confident about what I'm talking about. So that part, you know, does really well. Sorry, I've got a cat here. <laughs> what happens when you work from home? <laughs> um, you know, and so you definitely have to like get over that. Also, once I'm comfortable with people, like, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a very social introvert, which is kind of a weird dynamic. Um, it's the putting yourself out there to then, you know, either be rejected or have people look at you like, you know, why are you telling me about this? You know, that's the cold calling part that I just can't get on board with because, you know, I, I want to sell things to people that they actually want. Um, and that's why real estate always kind of spoke to me because it is something that everybody seems to be interested in. You know, people always want to learn more about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and and you mentioned bigger pockets, and I think that so that's one thing I'm super curious about. So just personally, I've just I was never really that big into social media or, or mm-hmm. you know any type of personal branding or anything. And you know, because of the fact I just kind of had that thought process, oh, I'm just gonna you know go work a job, and you know my personal brand doesn't really matter, right? You know, as long as I'm successful in the job and the career. 
But as time's gone on and gotten more involved in the investing, in the real estate, and the branding, it's so important. And so um, it's funny that you mentioned bigger pockets because I know you and I have communicated many times through there before, and I've posted questions and you've responded to them. And uh, I mean, obviously, you just the amount of effort and posts and comments that you've put on there is tremendous. And so many people just know your name, right? Every every time you, someone puts a post and says, "Hey, looking for an agent in Raleigh or looking for this in in the Triangle," you know, they just come up with Don. Uh, you know, you're we're one of the first names to go up there. So people are like, Oh, like your name keeps coming up. I was like, it does <laughs> you know, the posting so, after a while kind of tapered off a bit, but I guess people still find just old things or, you know, I was posting so much that they made me a moderator. And so it's like, you know, you develop some clout when you're, you know, kind of entrenched in, in their system. So it worked out. So, how, so, how, so was that intentional? I mean, like you said, you were kind of, was that trying to be, you know, to groom or grow business through that way? Or why did you start really kind of investing it. in bigger pockets? Yeah, it was, it just kind of was a happy accident because I was just, you know, I found bigger pockets and thought like, wow, this is really interesting. So I, even being in real estate, as long as I had been at that point, I didn't know about the investment side of things, the way people do it there. You know, I had a couple of rental properties and I understand people flip homes and stuff, but I didn't really know that people did private lending or seller financing. I didn't know people were out there driving for dollar. You know, there was so many other things that were part of real estate that I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I just went down the rabbit hole myself, you know, and I'm talking to people like reading all these different questions and comments. And then some things where I could speak intelligently, I was offering answers and stuff. And obviously people were specifically talking about our area, but I would hop in there. And then that just kind of organically grew into people reaching out to me. Hey, I wanted to learn more about Raleigh. And so it was very much an organic uh, situation. I mean, and, and stuff like that's so important. And I've heard, you know, so I've had Brian Burke on the show before, and, mm-hmm. and obviously he's, you know, he's been on a couple of times with Brandon and, and mm-hmm. all the guys on on the show uh, as you have. And it's interesting because same, same perspective, you know, Hey, I got out there just trying to either learn myself or just there were, you know, I have experience that other people I felt could leverage. So right. kind of giving back and then organically, it just turned into helping actually grow your business and your mm-hmm. brand. And so I would just, that that's one thing I would say to the audience is maybe it's not even real estate, but just in general, if there's some type of business skill or that you can share with others, you know, whatever the pl- place may be, you know, of course, real estate's more bigger pockets, but if it's LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be that others can kind of learn from, you know, I think it's so important to get out there because I think that's going to just, like you said, organically gravitate customers to you. Yeah, absolutely. Facebook kind of worked out that way too. You know, I'm in mom's groups and stuff on Facebook because I've got kids. And then next thing you know, people are asking for recommendations on neighborhoods or you know, whatever. And so you're same thing, you've got stuff to say. So you talk and then next thing you know, people are reaching out to you or people are recommending you, you know, I get tagged a lot in Facebook groups when people want to know more about um, real estate in Raleigh or investing in Raleigh or property management, you know, all kinds of things pop up where lots of my past clients are also moms in these same groups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kind of curious from a business perspective. So you talked about obviously being an agent, but then you also have a property management company. So so how did that kind of come about? Was it, you know, was it a plan to kind of have both originally or why do you have the brokerage and the property management company? Yeah, I actually started it really to focus more on property management because we were in the middle of a recession and I did have some rental properties already myself. And so when the recession hit, I was like, well, what else can I do? Um, I like to stay busy and, you know, just sitting on site at the new, you know, in the middle of a neighborhood was, was not, I mean, we were used to selling like 20 homes a month and constantly having people in, and it just went from that to like dead. And so you're sitting there, you know, you've exhausted all of the things that you watch on Hulu and ultimately like you look up and you're like, all right, I need to find something else to do. You know, I had a couple of my own rental properties and because that went well, I said, well, 
I can do it for myself and that's gone well. I can do this for other people. And so I was like, oh, I'll just do a property management company. That sounds good. So yeah, at the beginning, I mean, you know, I kind of bootstrapped everything because I didn't, you know, I just got married and stuff. And so I didn't have money for websites and CPAs and things like that, you know, so it was very much like, let me just sit down and figure out like, how do you build a website? How do you, you know, file taxes? What's the difference between an S corporation? So, you know, I figured all this stuff on my own. And what I will tell other people is definitely pay for advice, <laughs> pay other people for the, the things that they can do. Um, you know, try not to bootstrap stuff as much as you can, because that uh, didn't work out so great. So. <laughs> I think that's tremendous advice. And I think that's one thing that I've personally struggled with myself is just trying to, like you said, bootstrap everything yourself. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm stubborn. And you know, Hey, I've been able to to force this through and be successful in, in this regard. So, Hey, I'll do the other ones, but I've spent way too much time. You know, I guess it's kind of that, you know, what's the value of your time, right? So are you do what, what's the t- value of the task? Is it a $10 task, a hundred dollar task, a thousand dollar task? If it's something you can delegate to somebody for $10 an hour, or, you know, relatively speaking, you know, a lesser amount than your, right. your time is valued at, then, you know, really look at doing that because I think that's just such an important point because I know that I've fallen victim to the, you know, the mediocrity and the menial tasks are just like, oh, I can just totally delegate this to somebody else and have them do it and get it off my plate so I can start focusing on, you know, the higher level tasks that are available out there. Right. Like don't waste a month trying to create a logo when nobody cares about your logo, you know, like just <laughs> go to the world. Yeah. Well, and so many people get stuck up on silly things like that too. Oh my gosh, I can't start a business because I don't have a logo or I don't have, <laughs> I don't have this. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, well, so you talked originally about you know some of the reasons that you wanted to get into real estate or into um, having your own brokerage and, and selling you know single family homes and different things to investors was because you had a little bit more freedom um, you know within within the schedule then it was a little bit more rigid working for the builder so so what are some benefits and some challenges though with that with that flexibility within the schedule being a real estate agent yeah I think uh, there you get to a point where you kind of feel like you're never off and um, and you and really you, you aren't because you are kind of at people's beck and call you know, if, if a new listing hits the market, especially in today's times where stuff goes so quickly that if you're not available to go show it, they could lose the property, you know, and you don't want people to lose an opportunity. So, you know, it's like, I might start my day thinking I have nothing to do. And then, you know, a couple of properties at the market and all of a sudden, you know, the rest of my day is booked. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to manage your time sometimes, you know, and keep that like, you know, just make sure you're prioritizing and stuff. I actually did sit down as an experiment and and use like one of those time trackers and figure out, I was like, all right, like how much am I actually working and how much time am I wasting on Facebook and how much, you know, what am I doing here? And it turns out I don't work nearly as much as I thought I did because I feel like I'm always working because I'm, you know, I've always got stuff going on in my mind or things that I should be doing or, you know, stuff coming up, appointments coming up that I'm preparing for. Um, but when I actually sat down and figured it out, I was like, no, I actually really only work probably somewhere between 35 to 45 hours a week. Um, so I think trying to, you know, one of the things I would like to do is try to like consolidate my work hours into actual work hours. And then when I'm off to be more off in that way, if I'm hanging out with my kids, I'm not checking my email on my phone, you know, and being able to just be present in whatever I'm doing. So, so if somebody could figure out how to do that, that'd be great. <laughs> I think the point you just made there though, about actually tracking your time, I think that's something that, that everybody should, should, should look at doing because you really kind of have a better idea of how much time are you really wasting on? Yeah. Checking email or checking social media or, you know, especially now, well, I guess you're used to working from home, but now obviously there's so many more distractions for folks that were used to going into an office and in yep. different areas, you know, how much are you getting distracted by things that are, <laughs> that are not the day-to-day, the actual tasks that you need to get done. 
oh yeah, I'm constantly doing laundry or loading dishes or sweeping or something where I'm just like, well. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, so I have kind of an interesting question around, you know, just investing in real estate. Cause I know you're an investor yourself. So let's dig into that real quick. So, so you, you said your dad was an entrepreneur and in, in real estate in the first place. So how did you even yourself get involved in real estate investing as, as a property owner? Um, so the first house that I bought was just a primary residence back when I was 23 years old. I just got my real estate license. I was now working um, in the new home sales office. And, you know, I was thinking, well, now I'm a realtor. I need to buy a house because you don't want to be a renter and a realtor. <laughs> so um, you know, that was back in 2003. So, you know, they were giving loans out to anybody and I had gotten a 0% down loan. Um, the only money I had to put into the deal was like buy a fridge before closing. Like everything was rolled into the, <clears throat> into the loan, which was great for me because it was still, you know, relatively affordable. It was like less than $900 a month. The house is only 130,000. Um, so that was, you know, what I was paying for. Oops, sorry. That was what I was paying for rent anyway. So, you know, that worked out fine for me, but I can see why that would be a problem in more expensive markets or, you know, as part of the housing bubble that happened, um, you know, cause they really were just giving loans out to everyone. Um, so I'd gotten that one, got my primary residence. And, um, shortly after that, my parents had sold a property in Fayetteville and they had about a hundred thousand dollars in cash that they wanted to redeploy into something else. And so my dad calls and he said, Hey, I want to buy two rental properties up in Raleigh. I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, I, I knew nothing about investing. I, the only thing that I knew was that I had friends that went to NC state and there was, you know, certain areas that they liked to live in and, you know, specifically sought out rental properties. And, and so one of the neighborhoods was where I had bought the townhouse that I was living in. So I was like, well, just keep an eye out here. And two single family homes had kind of popped up at the same time. And so I was like, well, I know people like to rent in this neighborhood you should buy it. <laughs> and so, you know, he was like, all right, sounds good. So they bought those two properties. Um, ultimately I, and they put my name on the properties, you know, when they bought them, but, um, you know, many, many years later, my dad passed away. My mom is not like a big, um, you know, she, she gets really nervous about stuff. She's not a great like investor mindset person for, you know, she liked to come up and like clean the houses and things like that, where I was just like, Oh, let's just pay somebody else. And so, you know, when she wanted to get rid of the properties, I was like, well, I was like, why don't I just refinance them and I'll take them over, take your name off of them. So we did that just maybe two or three years ago. But that's how we got started. Just my parents wanted to buy some investment property. And so I, I did that with them. And so how has, how has the journey changed as an investor, you know, especially in a market as strong as, as Raleigh-Durham? I mean, it's just so different. I'm sure, especially from when you talk about back in, you know, the, the early to mid 2000s and then the crash happens. And, you know, I know it wasn't as bad in the triangle as it was, you know, in other areas sure. of the country. But still, there, you know, like you said, there was definitely a depression in, in home sales and in activity. So yeah, what's what's been that journey like? You know, now being this is one of the top. You know, it seems like Raleigh Durham continues to show up on top ten lists of yep. of markets across the country. What's what's the progression been like, and and how is that impacting either investors or just you know single family home buyers? Yeah, it, so it used to just be we would buy stuff off MLS, and that was the only place I looked. Um, and now we've gotten a lot more creative. Um, you know, we've got wholesalers and stuff that we work with to find off market deals. Obviously, we're still on MLS as well, um, but you know, it's just a lot more competitive there. So my buyers are often writing very good offers and still not getting them accepted when we're doing stuff off MLS. But <clears throat> trying to focus more on on the wholesalers. Um, you know, Therese and I are trying to target a couple of neighborhoods to do some of our own direct mail marketing as well. 
Um, you know, that's kind of a separate little job in itself, but, you know, again, we're just trying to get more creative because there's so little inventory. We need to really create our own. Absolutely. And so for investors that are out there, you know, are, are they just having to accept lesser returns or what's kind of the recommendation? Cause I think that's the struggle we all, you know, everyone's like, Hey, deal flow, right. You know, Hey, if I had more deals, I could deploy more capital. And so it's kind of a chicken or the egg. It's like, well, should I, you know, buy this today? Cause I don't have anything else. And, you know, I don't know if anything else is going to come available. So, so what's kind of your recommendation to investors and, and what are your investor clients doing right now with, with the market being, uh, I deem it expensive. You know, I don't want to get, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, it's relatively speaking to the past. It's, it's expensive as it is now, but what's kind of your recommendation to, to investors out there? Yeah, everybody has different goals, you know? So a lot of the people that I work with come from even more expensive markets like Seattle or the Bay area or New York city or something like that. So, you know, when you're, you're coming from a, that mindset where everything's a million dollars, you know, to come here and pay 300 for something, you know, just seems much more reasonable now, you know, you could take somebody here in Raleigh and, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, the price has gone up so much. It's so expensive. So, you know, so maybe we're going to a place like Kansas City or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's kind of relative to what you have, I think, immediately available to you. Also, I think a lot of people who do come from those expensive markets have seen how the appreciation has really created the wealth. It's not the hundred bucks or 200 bucks in cash flow. They don't care about that because they're not trying to own 75 properties. They want to own two or three. And so what they're really trying to do is to create that wealth through, I think, the appreciation because they've seen how that has worked in their own markets. And like you said, Raleigh and Durham are on everyone's top 10 list. You know, I think there's a lot of room for that kind of growth to happen here. Now, obviously that's speculative. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Um, but I think for somebody who's just, you know, parking a little bit of their extra money in a, into a market, it makes sense for them to kind of take that risk because it's not likely to go down either. You know, they're unlikely to lose the money. So it's like, well, park it here. If Raleigh appreciates like everyone thinks it will, you know, they'd be in a good position 10 years from now. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a bad, it's very anti-bigger pockets, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad, like, you know, mindset. And then for people who are looking for less expensive markets and who do want more cash flow and they are trying to, you know, rapidly grow, I typically direct them to places like Fayetteville. I've got an agent that works for me down there and I, I grew up in Fayetteville, so I'm just familiar and so we'll direct them to Fayetteville. I've got some investor friends who invest in Rocky Mount, which is like a very cheap market and they've done great there. So, you know, you've got to kind of understand the risks in each market, but you know, there's alternatives around here. Absolutely. And there's the two points you just made that I think are tremendous around. I think the first one is the appreciation, right? You know, the cash flow is great and it's nice to have some semblance of income coming in, but the big strides are obviously made in appreciation, right? And at times that can be very speculative or or very risky, right? Depending on how aggressive you're being. And and thankfully, you know, when you look at a market like Raleigh Durham, it more than likely it was probably undervalued before, right? You know, and so maybe we're starting to get to an equilibrium almost where maybe we're at a fair market value of what it should have been, right? You know, and so all this money coming in is kind of, but it's still much cheaper than, you know, you talk about the Northeast, the Northwest, the West Coast, you know, just the coastal markets and the gateway cities in general. Um, but I think to your point around appreciation, that's really where the strides in wealth are made, right? So, I mean, if you want to get those gains, you know, and you're looking, at least in the residential side, you know, it's going to have to be through appreciation. Obviously on the commercial side, there's a little bit of levers that you can pull, you know, as far as value add and things like that. That, but you know, there's also risk in that because you know lending rates are, are a huge parameter of you know how what you can get for an exit valuation on a particular property or whatever the case is. Um, and then the second one was around looking at different markets, right? And I think that, that that's challenging, but 
But when you talked about different markets, the one thing you said that I like so much was that they're still relatively close. I know you mentioned Kansas City before, but <laughs> I think that I think that's one thing that's really nice for investors if they are trying, you know, obviously if you're like in California or the Northeast, it's going to be more challenging. But if you're in the Southeast or if you're in the Midwest, you know, and you live in an, an in a city that is starting to appreciate rapidly, you know, maybe just starting to look around a little bit closer. So you could at least go and, you know, hour, hour and a half away, go to the property or go to the actual market and see it. And so I know that, you know, bigger pockets and a lot of the other areas talk about the long distance investing. And I think it's great, but it does take time to build that trust. I mean, even just, you know, from my experience from doing, you know, a couple flips, you know, even just an hour away seemed like, you know, seemed like light years away because it was just like, oh my gosh, I need to get down there and see it and check on this. And so I don't, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for folks that can do it virtually so well, because I think it is challenging, but I think I both of those how many points. investors that I have that have never set foot in North Carolina, they know nothing about the place. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, we'll put something under contract. And now with the due diligence fees, the way they are, I'm like, okay, send me a check for $10,000. And they just like write it and send it. And, you know, I'm like, they don't know me. <laughs> like, I, it's amazing the trust that, you know, people can have in somebody, um, you know, which is interesting to me because, you know, I guess, I guess it is kind of just relative to what you've got and what you're doing. Maybe it's not, maybe that $10,000 check is not a huge risk to them. I'm not sure, but um, it's interesting how you can just like buy something sight unseen that's $300,000, you know? Well, and, and to your point, I think it'll only continue to go that way, right? As we become more of a virtual society and, you know, you're, I'm sure you've done plenty of, you know, FaceTime walkthroughs <laughs> with clients or, you know, different things. So I think we're just going to start seeing that more and more. And, you know, eventually it'll become more global even too, right? I mean, I'm sure you yep. have, well, I mean, I'm sure you've worked with investors oh, absolutely. From, yep. from all over mm-hmm. as well. So awesome. Well, um, well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So so I know you've had a couple different, you know, real estate endeavors, but is there anything in particular that you would say is maybe the most contrarian or, or off the beaten path investment that you've made in your career? Yeah, I, I love the premise of your your podcast that, you know, it's like, what have you done that's different than what people do? Because real estate, you know, it's a very like kind of normal, boring thing. And I was, I was thinking about the answer to that. And I was like, oh, I've done all kinds of like weird stuff, you know, like, like when I bought that first house, um, I had it, I, the the money that I needed for closing in the refrigerator. I had gotten from like flipping things on eBay. So you know, <laughs> again, I was only making, I think I made 10 bucks an hour at the time. So like I had no money. <laughs> so I was like, well, let me, I just like bought. So I remember like one shipment I got was this like thing of TiVo's. And so, and then I turned around and like sold them on eBay. <laughs> just like totally random stuff. And like, you know, I used to do like, uh, my dad had given me some money. I was like, Oh, I was, I told him I was interested in day trading. And he was like, Oh, he was like, well, here, he gave me like a thousand dollars to like play with. And he was like, here, you let me know how it goes. And so I'm like investing in penny stocks. I'm like waking up, like making sure I'm in front of my computer. And I, I know nothing about the stock market. I'm just like guessing. I was like, Oh, this looks like it's going up. Let me just buy some real quick. And so that was fun. <laughs> and you know, so that's like, you know, I just do like weird stuff like that. And so I've not gotten into things like Bitcoin and stuff like that, but you know, I'm pro- that's probably next on my list is to figure those types of things out. Yeah, when I, yeah. When I say figure out, it means do no research and just like throw some money in it. And see <laughs> well, that, that's what I did a couple of years ago with Bitcoin. And when it was getting you know, on the way up to 20,000 and then it crashed again. So, you know, I bought in on the way up. I mean, thankfully, I've, you know, that's what someone was joking with me the other the day. They're like, well, hey, you've doubled your money in a couple of years. But at the time it seemed ridiculous because I bought in it. I didn't buy a full coin, but you know, whatever amount I put in, 
at you know seventeen or eighteen thousand, and then it crashed back to three thousand. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. You know, I just <laughs> lost a sixth of how much I put in. So, um, but I like the perspective that, like you said, you're just kind of tinkering with stuff and not just jumping in head first before you know enough about it. And then also, kind of even back to the mailers and stuff. I mean, the creativity around you know just the flipping the stuff on. <laughs> Well, part of it is just like the learning. You're like, okay, you get an idea. And, you know, instead of like spending a lot of time reading about it or researching and figuring out what other people are doing, I like to just try it and just see like, okay, like what works for me? What do I like? And, you know, obviously not putting huge amounts of money into stuff that I don't know anything about, but, you know, just enough to kind of learn and tinker and play. Um, you know, like I remember like when oil like went down to whatever it was a barrel, I was like, oh, maybe I'll buy some oil. So I put a little bit of money into my E-Trade account, bought some random oil stock um, that I still have. And it's just sitting there. Um, I got into doing a little bit of private lending. So that was a little bit more um, like a less contrarian, um, more normal type of uh, investing. I've got some flippers here that I invest some money with and that pays pretty well. And then I did a syndication. So I'm a passive investor in a syndication in Fayetteville. So again, I knew really nothing about like that, but I was, I said, okay, if I invest with you, kind of, will you teach me like what it is you're looking for and what it is you're doing and stuff. So, you know, so absolutely. He sat down and shared all the spreadsheets and what they look for. And, you know, obviously you get quarterly reports and stuff like that. And he'll sit down with me and kind of explain what their goals are along the way. And, you know, with COVID and stuff, they had to pivot some things some tenants weren't paying stuff like that. So, you know, it's just been interesting kind of like learn the different stuff that other people are good at. Well, and that's one of the things I love about investing so much is that there are so many different paths that you can go down. I mean, you were talking about penny stocks, drop shipping, you know, yep. private <laughs> lending, syndications. I mean, just even within real estate, obviously there's a multitude of different ways, but just in general, there's so many different ways. And that's kind of one of the pivots that we've made as a family is that because of real estate prices and the pandemic, everything's gone up. I mean, everything's hot, right? You know, it doesn't matter. Yep. <laughs> you, you said Bitcoin. So yeah, cryptocurrency, you know, <laughs> is extremely hot gold, silver. It doesn't really matter at this point, right? I mean, real estate, of course, stock market, everything's pretty high. So we've started looking at, you know, looking at potentially buying small businesses and stuff. So my wife actually bought a, a small services business earlier on in the pandemic. And, you know, she's checking out some other stuff now, just kind of, kind of back to your point, you know, just, you got to be, be creative and look at different ways to, you know, potentially make money and, and, you know, hopefully yep. force some appreciation so that, you know, you can turn around and sell it for, for more than you've, you've put into it. So obviously we've talked a ton about business, but outside of business, you know, what's your favorite, you talked about your twins. What's your favorite thing to do with family and friends outside of, outside of the real estate stuff? I used to like to go to restaurants and bars and things like that and hang out with people there. And so, you know, obviously that became not a thing. Um, but you know, I walk a lot at Lake Johnson. There's like a three mile loop there. So I do that almost every day, or at least I was before it got cold. Um, just went skiing the other day, which was great. And went up to the mountains, did some tubing and stuff a couple of weeks ago, went down to the beach and, you know, just like to spend time outside just to, I think you spend so much time sitting in front of a computer that it's nice to like, just be out so even when if I just have drinks with my neighbors or something, we'll do it like outside on the porch or out on the back deck and just be, you know, just out getting fresh air. So, um, so, you know, do that kind of stuff with my friends and then with my kids, you know, again, I'm trying to just be present with them. So, you know, it's, it's hard now because they're almost nine and they, you know, are way more interested in playing video games and hanging out on their phones and talking to their friends on, you know, messenger and things like that. And it's like, they're only not, they're not even nine, they'll be nine next month. You know, and it's already, I feel like they're like these little mini teenagers that, you know, could care less about hanging out with me. So like, I like to do some fun things with them and, you know, take them out for ice cream or, um, you know, we'll go shopping or go out to eat and just do like girl things. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think um, two points around, you know, that's why I think the area here, you know, in Raleigh, Durham is so great because you've got the mountains to one side, you've got the beach to the other, and mm -hmm. it's very commutable, right? So depending on what, wh you know, what scenery you like or whatever the case is, you know, I do think it's a very good location. 
And then also, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, just, I think even now being present and just the amount of that COVID is even expedited kind of some of the learning curve, you know, you talk about kids being home from school, you know, they're on their computers, they're on their tablets, they're on everything, you know, everything's digital now. So it'll it'll be interesting as a parent and just, you know, in society in general, what the future is going to look like. And I don't know, I'm almost convinced in the back of my head is like, I remember when I was a senior in high school, it's like, I only went into a couple classes a, a week. So, I mean, you know, do you think our seniors going to just start, you know, remote learning hundred percent, you know, and I mean, I don't know. I just, it'll be interesting to see how education in general and just society pivots and changes with all this digital transformation that's going on um, in areas that we didn't really see it happening before. And then, um, you know, what does offer you the most fulfillment in life outside of business and, and all the real estate stuff? Yeah, I do think spending time, I mean, it sounds very cliche, but, you know, spending that time with my kids because you do only get them for a short period of time. Um, you know, you're their whole world when they're tiny, but as they get older, they are much more interested in doing their own thing and hanging out with their friends. So I think kind of, you know, just treasuring that time that they do want to spend with you is, um, you know, is pretty key. And that's the kind of stuff that I don't want to regret looking back on life later that, you know, I didn't give them my undivided attention when they wanted it. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any pointers out there for parents? Cause I know that that's something that I struggle with about, you talked about presence, giving them your full attention, any pointers out there that you've had success with, uh, you know, making sure that you're around them. And when you are, you're fully focused on, on what, what you guys are doing together. It's hard because, you know, the phone is like an extension of your arm, right? Like, you don't, it's always in your pocket, you know, and it's always laying there. So I, I do try to just make a point to like, turn my ringer off and I leave it on vibrate, but you know, turn the ringer off, go leave it in a different room. And I do still have like at the app watch. So like I can look and see, if, you know, if I'm getting something important, I can always like walk away. But, you know, I try to like, you know, be as present as I can with the kids when I'm with them. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like, we'll just sit down and watch movies together. And it's like, you know, I kind of made the deal with them because they were, you know, one day we were like watching a movie together and I'm on my phone and, you know, we were watching like Descendants 2 for the 400th time. And they were like, mom, you need to watch this. I was like, you know what? Watch something that I want to watch <laughs> <laughs> and I will watch it with you. But I've seen this many, many times. So, you know, I also want them to understand like, hey, you know, we, we have to make some compromises as a family to do things together and stuff. It's not all about you and what you want to do. You know, don't be spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely concur with that. You know, I think that's the, that's the balance in general, but, uh, but Don, this has been an outstanding conversation. I've really appreciated the time. What's the best way for the audience to get a hold of you out there? Uh, you know, if they have any questions around real estate or if it is yeah. looking to pick up a new home. Sure. Yeah. You can always check out our website. It's trailwoodrealty.com. Um, you know, and obviously our, all our contact information is there. And obviously I'm spending a lot of time on bigger pockets and Facebook too much time on Facebook. Absolutely. We'll put links in there to the show in the show notes as well. So, well, thanks again, Don. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Same. Thank you. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.